Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. These people, this is back in the 60s, and you can kind of tell for various reasons. You notice they're wearing glasses. I understand some of you went to see a movie last night with 3D glasses. And uh, I went to see, I think this is the same movie that I saw in 1960. I would have been about eight years old. And I was up at the Grand Theater in Greenwood. And I would go up there and uh, occasionally go see Elvis Presley movies and things like that. Uh, yes, I know. It was my, my past, you know. But anyway, and uh, this particular movie, a ghost movie. And uh, so when you're watching the movie, there were no ghosts in the movie. There's supposed to be 13 of them. And, um, but you put the glasses on, and you could see the ghosts. And there they were in the movie. If you didn't have the glasses on, you couldn't see the ghosts. So the ghosts were there, but you had to have the glasses on to see them. And this, of course, was a really high-tech innovation in those days and was quite astounding. And I can still remember that wonderful black-and-white movie. It wasn't really frightening or anything like the one they made later, the kind of sleazy one. This was a, you know, this was a kind of a fun black-and-white movie and we wore our 3D glasses. This morning, as we look at 2 Kings chapter 6, we are going to uh, share a lesson on the uh, <laughs> what it takes to see the things that aren't there, but they really are there. 2 Kings chapter 6. And... Um, we want to begin at verse 8. For those of you that might be visiting with us, we've been studying uh, some lessons from Elijah and Elisha the prophets. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place, the man of God being Elisha. You'll notice that nobody here is named. The kings aren't named either. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king. So he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Who is the spy? This is a king's court, and he is looking to find out who, who, is, who is going to the king of Israel and telling them that we are going to be there to raid their properties and their land, and instead they get there first and are ready to defend it. Somebody is telling the king of Israel, who is the spy among us? Who's the agent? Who's the one working for the Israelites? He's enraged. None of us, verse 12, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So, you know, there's a lot of things to think about here. That that Elisha the prophet finds out, obviously revealed by God, this guy knows it. How does this guy know it's Elisha? You know, we got a lot of uh, double agent type stuff going on here. This guy happens to know it's Elisha. The king thinks it's somebody in his court. And the truth is, 
Elisha is the prophet of God, and God is obviously revealing to Elisha what's going on. And so the king says, go out, go find out where he is. So I can send men and capture him. You notice he doesn't say to kill him. So I want to capture him. I want to hold him hostage. I want to take him. You go find out where he is. And the report, report came back. He is in Dothan. Um, some of the commentators note that Dothan is the place where uh, Joseph was sold by his brothers uh, when, they, when he was sent down to Egypt. He is in Dothan. And he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and they surrounded the city. This, this city, if it's the one that we think it is, it's hard to really nail down these, these biblical locations. Things have changed. But if this is where we think it is, even today, it's, it's up on the high top of a, of a hill. And down below it is pretty well just a circular surrounding of this hill. And we see that the king of Syria, the Arameans, the same people, he sends his army, they go and they surround the base of this hill quietly somehow at night. A whole army, a whole army is sent to capture one man. One man who does not have an army, an armor guard or anything with him. He has one servant with him. We see this in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Uh, the servant knew what this meant. This meant for sure capture, servitude, slavery, or death. I mean, there was no other options. They are surrounded. They aren't even armed. There's two of them. There's no one coming to their help. They're surrounded by an army of Syrians, completely surrounding the base of this hill. What shall we do? What shall we do? I, you know, I, I just, I imagine, you know, this, this guy getting up in the morning, you know, stretching, getting up. It's early morning, goes out, takes a look, and there's the whole army surrounding the base of that mountain. What shall we do? And Elisha says to him, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us, are more than those who are with them. Now, it's okay to have a little sense of humor, you know. Isn't it about the Bible sometimes? You know, can you imagine, you know, this servant, when, when Elisha says, it's okay, you don't need to be afraid. There's more with us than there are with them. I mean, can you imagine the guy looking around, you know, at, at the top of the mountain, and Elisha and, and him, and it's only two of them? And Elisha says, it's okay. It's, it's all right. There are more with us than there are with them. In verse 17, Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked. And he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Open his eyes. And the reason Elisha wasn't afraid is because he knew he was surrounded by the presence of the, of the host of God. And somehow the, the man opens his eyes and, and he sees all of a sudden that between them and the enemies are this vast army of fiery horses and chariots. 
We've already seen a chariot of fire, haven't we? Once before. When Elijah was taken by that chariot of fire. I often, you know, I was wondering about this. What, what did this look like, I wonder? What, what did he see? What did he see? I mean, this is not just a horse and a chariot. This is an, a vast army surrounding them. Myriads of, of horses and chariots of fire. And I got to thinking about this. You know, what, what exactly is this? Is this a vision? Are there really horses in heaven? Are there chariots? Are there heavenly chariots and horses on fire? We know from the Bible that angels and angelic beings are, are there from, from beginning to end. There is a there is a unseen world, if you will, that that obviously exists, and we know in the Bible that angels come and minister. Angels appear as people. Angels appear as fiery serpents. Angels appear in, in different ways, and there's an unseen spiritual world. The Apostle Paul talks about the the forces that we are at battle against, the forces in the heavenlies, and in this particular case. You know, are there really horses in heaven that are on, that are flaming? Was this something that was created just for this event? Was this a vision? Uh, what exactly is it? But you can imagine the you can imagine the the scene among among this of Elijah and his servant to all of a sudden see this army of fiery horses surrounding them. It doesn't even say that Elisha saw them. Or Elisha saw anything. Elisha was sleeping peacefully. The guy wakes him up and says, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. Elisha says, no, it's okay. There's more with us than there are with them. And did Elisha just know they were out there? Did he have such assurance and trust in God and faith in God that he, that he just knew God was surrounding them? Did he actually see these things all the time? Um, there was a lot of questions that are sort of we could leave unanswered here and, and, and contemplate. But the point is, the point is, there is this vast, powerful, spiritual world. And God has appointed this particular case, horses and chariots of fire, to surround his prophet and protect them. The interesting thing is, we'll see later on as we develop the story, that they don't do anything. They don't attack. They don't harm anybody. They are just there surrounding Elisha and his servant and protecting them from possible injury and harm and capture. You know, this particular lesson, uh, you know, it, it just brings to mind several things for me. One is this, the spiritual world. I'd like you to think about that today. You know, we live in this physical world and we, particularly in our culture, are very attuned to that. But the Bible talks so much about the reality the reality of the spiritual world that is unseen, that we fight against, that we are protected by. You know, we, there's, we don't have a, a, you know, a lot about the angels. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ at one point talking about the little ones said, they're angels in heaven, you know, watch over them, which of course led to this view of guardian angels. That's, all, that, that's the only verse we have. But it does say that. It does say that their angels watch over them. We know that the angels came and ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the angels came along other people and encouraged them and helped them. We know the angels came to the prophets like Daniel and, and, and revealed to them and spoke to them. 
And we see them from beginning to end. This angelic world, this spiritual world. And Elisha, the prophet of God, is, is so convinced of God's protection and God's presence. Personally, I think, I don't even know that Elisha had to see this. He just knew that he was in God's care. And he asked God, please open his eyes so, so he can see this too. And when he did, that is what he saw. You know, this, this, this brings the question, what is, what is faith? What is faith? You know, when I was in confirmation back, when I took confirmation, we call Bible instruction now, we had a definition of faith that we memorized. But if I were to ask you today to define what is faith, what does that mean to you? I, I ask you, you know, do you have faith in God? You have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean to you? What does that mean in your life? What's that going to mean for you tomorrow when you go to work, when you go to your neighborhood, when you're in your community, when you're at school, today, this afternoon? What, what does that mean to you that we are a people of faith? How would you define faith? Once again, if we were in a smaller group, I would ask you to take time and maybe jot some things down and turn the person next to you and and share what, what you, how you would define faith. When I was in confirmation, we, we memorized a definition of faith. Faith, Pastor Peterson taught us this. Faith is that complex act of the soul involving intellect, emotions, and will in apprehending Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. You mean? You're pretty good, huh? Do you remember that? Yeah, you remember that. Some things you just remember, Right? Confirmation students, you remember anything that we? Uh, okay, anyway, yeah. So some things you just remember, and I remember that one. It's a complex act of the soul, the inner unseen person, that involves intellect, emotions, and will, your thoughts, your feelings, and your decisions, in apprehending and taking in Jesus Christ and His redemption. For us, his salvation for us. You know, in the Bible, there is a definition of faith. What if we talk about in the Bible? We say, we, we, we say there is a love chapter. What chapter is it? First Corinthians, what? Thirteen. If we say there is a faith chapter, what chapter is it? Hebrews eleven. Very good, because Hebrews chapter eleven is the one that 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 explains all these heroes of the faith, people like Elisha and Elijah. If you just turn there for a moment to Hebrews chapter 11. We don't know who wrote the epistle to the Hebrews. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Whether it was Paul or one of his helpers, if it wasn't Paul, it was certainly somebody familiar with his ministry and maybe part of his ministry. And this this is the chapter that, and as, as God is preparing his people for, for what... It's time to move on. It's time to embrace what God is doing. And we're going to have, we're going to see in uh, verse 4, Abel. Verse 5, Enoch. Verse 7, Noah. Verse 8, Abraham, who gets a really large section here. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You probably have these headings in your Bible. Verse 24, Moses. Verse 30, Joshua. Verse 31, Rahab. And verse 32, you just sort of, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's, you come into the end of this and he's just sort of running out. He could go on forever. 
And he says, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. I mean, he's, you know, he's got this far in the Old Testament. He said, okay, that's it. But, but the prophets, Elijah, Elisha would fit in those prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose strength was turned to, whose weakness was turned to strength, became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released. They might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers, flogging, chain. They were stoned. I mean, this is not a pretty picture. And we think of all the wonderful deliverances, but we got a whole host of people here who weren't delivered, who died. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. They wandered. The world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves. These are not people who were miraculously delivered at the last moment. These are people who were, who were slaughtered, who were murdered, who were killed because of their faith in God and their willingness to stand. Others, like Elisha on the mountain, were miraculously delivered by this army that they had no chance of defeating. Physical delivery or not is not the issue. The issue is faith in God and that God will ultimately deliver all of his own people. But this chapter begins, chapter 11, with a definition of faith. Now, faith, a definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain. Of what we do not see. In the ESV translation, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Now, I want you to think about that verse for a minute, this definition of faith. This is a typical Hebrew thought. You know, if you read the Old Testament, you will notice that you have oftentimes this repetitive, this is Hebrew poetry. You say something, and then you say it again slightly different. This is, you know, we think of poetry in our culture often as rhyming, which of course isn't really true. That's not all it does. But it, a lot of times we think of a poem, we think of rhyming. In Hebrew tradition, Hebrew literature, you'll find that a, a main source of, of poetry literature is to say something and say it again. And essentially, this is what the author does here. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Now, when, when we hope for something, what does that mean? If I said, what are you hoping for today? What does that imply? What does that imply to you? You haven't received it yet. It's not there yet. Some of you are, are hoping for a, a, a victory, maybe in a sports team. Some of you are hoping for a good grade. Some of you are hoping for a good report. Some of you are hoping the doctor tells you this. Some of you are hoping for a job, hoping... You know, what, but you're waiting for it. And, and what the author here says, hope is the confidence. Faith is the confidence, this assurance, this confidence, this confidence that what we hope for, we will have. Faith is the confidence and it's assurance, assurance about what we do not see. What we do not see. You can't see it. You can't put your hands on it. You can't grab it and say, it's mine. But faith is assurance that it's there and it's yours. 
And I love this. I think this is, you say, what is faith? Here's the definition right here. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this is the introduction to these wonderful stories of faith in the Old Testament. Stories that would include Elijah and Elisha. And this wonderful story of Elisha's faith in God. That even though they are surrounded physically by an entire army, those with us are more than those with them. He couldn't see, maybe he didn't see it. The servant certainly didn't see it. The, certainly wasn't, the servant wasn't assured of it. But God opened his eyes. And he was able to grasp what was really there. Confidence and hope. Let's take that first phrase. Now, I thought that this particular verse from Romans is, is important for us to remember. And I think this is, we know when, when Pastor Peterson taught us that faith is that complex act of the soul involving intellect, our mind and understanding, confidence and hope. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, in this, in this great story of God's plan of salvation, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And we can say by that, the word of God, the scriptures. I think it's clear this is what Paul is talking about in Romans. Because he says, who's going to go tell them? But they, they can't come unless, if they don't hear. And if they, don't, they can't hear unless somebody goes. And they can't go unless they are sent. And God sends them. And God sends them to bring the word of God. This is why this morning, in this part of our worship service, why we are taking time to read God's word. You know, you're not here to hear my ideas. You're not here to hear my opinions. I have opinions, you have opinions. Your opinions are as good as my opinions. You're not here to, to, to hear me talk about my opinion on everything. You are here for us to share together and explore together the Word of God, God's holy Word. This is why we are called the Brian Bible Church and why the Bible in this pulpit will always be of importance and always be what we gather around. We worship God. We don't worship the Bible. We worship God. But we study His Word. Why? Because faith comes from hearing God's Word. Hearing from the Word of Christ. And so if you want to know, where do, you, where do we get this kind of faith? Where do you get this kind of faith that these people like Abraham and Rahab had? Like Esther had. Where, where Esther was willing to put her life on the line and say, if I die, I die. And I probably will die. But she didn't then. These heroes of the faith and heroines of the faith, where did they get that kind of faith? It's because they listened to God's word. It wasn't from a vacuum. It wasn't just because they were smart people or, or courageous people or strong people. It's because they listened to the word of God when it was brought to them. And this morning I'm asking you to listen to God's word. You want to you be a person of faith and live by faith? First of all, you want to be a person who knows Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is what Paul is saying in this, in this passage here. Faith, faith in Christ comes from hearing and the word of God brings you this message. The word of God tells you that we are all born in sin. We are sinners by nature. I'm not a sinner because I've sinned more or less than you and vice versa. We are sinners because we are part of Adam and Eve's race. We were born in Adam. We are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. It is not possible for me. The Bible tells us clearly. It is not possible for me 
to act good enough and righteous enough that God is finally going to say, okay, Jim finally did it. He's finally measured up to my expectations and what I need from him. No, because God is holy. The Bible tells us that. We sing about that. The songs our choir sang, the songs that we sing together, these are songs based on the Word of God. Sometimes they're verbatim. Other times it's the thoughts of the Word of God. And they tell us that God is holy and just. And for God to accept anything less then holiness and, and perfection would be to lower who he is. He is God. And the only way was for Jesus Christ, God himself, and fully human to come to earth and to die on the cross. And this is what the Bible tells us. It clearly tells us this story. He was not a martyr. He was not a good teacher. Yes, he was a good teacher, but he was more than that. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He paid for my sins. And I, through simple faith as a young boy, received Christ as my Savior. Faith came by hearing. I heard somebody share the story, a flannel graph lesson, and shared that story, and I accepted it and believed it. And that's why I'm a Christian today. Faith comes by hearing. And if you would like to be a Christian, if you would like to be one who knows you have eternal life and forgiveness for sins, and you would like to be part of God's family, the church, the body of Christ, Friend, it's through listening to God's word. And the Bible clearly tells us what I've just talked to you about. And if you would like to be a person who lives by faith in your daily life this week, tomorrow, at your school, in your neighborhood, in your job, in your family, and no matter what is going on in your world, if you want to be a person who wants to be a person of faith, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ the Word of God, His Scriptures. We see in Hebrews chapter 11. I want you know, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, he says that it is certain of what we do not see. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27. I have it on the screen for you as well. It's talking of Moses. Moses, who was called at 80 years old to come back to, to, to Egypt and lead these people. He wanted nothing to do with it. He, he told God, no, I'm not going to do it. Send somebody else. I'm not going. And God says, you're going, Moses. Whether you like it or not, you're going. And Moses went down there. And he went through that whole process of bringing, the, the, through a year of plagues, of bringing the people to the point where God was ready to deliver them by the Passover. It says in verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt. He took those people by faith. He took maybe a million people. Can you imagine that? At least there were 600,000. If that were the men only, then it was over a million people. This one man, this 80-year-old shepherd, was willing to shepherd at least 600,000 people. That's like the city of Seattle proper, just that. And to shepherd them from Egypt to the promised land. He was willing to do that. By faith, he left and he didn't fear the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him because of him who is invisible. Because of him who is invisible. How do you see him who is invisible? That is a contradiction in terms. You cannot see what is invisible. But faith, faith, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
And I want to apply that to your life from, from, from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the, the context of this is, is a passage I use oftentimes when I'm doing memorial services, graveside services or funerals or, or sharing with someone who's just recently lost a loved one and, and to remind them, as Paul says, that, that God has, this is, a, this is a temporary body and God has prepared and is preparing for us eternal bodies, eternal homes. And as we gather at a graveside, and I tell people often, almost every time, this is the moment that defines our Christian faith. This is the moment that defines our Christian faith. For if it comes time for a memorial service, a graveside, it comes time to lose a loved one, and we have to wonder, is there really a heaven? Is there really salvation? Is there really more? The Apostle Paul says, listen. If that's true, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if that is true, we are of all people the most foolish because we are preaching and teaching a lie and we are deceiving people. And Paul says, no. But now is Christ Jesus risen from the dead, become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And it's in that context of those thoughts of those thoughts about the seriousness of eternity, the seriousness of life after life, that Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are a people who walk by faith. I ask this morning, what do you see? Are you a person who is willing to consider, do we give thought in our lives about the reality of spiritual things. You know, we are not mystics. There is a certain mystic Christianity that can get off base. But we do believe in mystery. Mystery is a very Pauline word. In fact, what God is doing today, the church, the body of Christ, was a mystery. It had not been revealed, but was revealed now of what God is doing. What do we see? What do you see? In your life, what are you hoping for? What is the one thing today that you are hoping for more than anything else? What is the one thing today that you need faith to walk through, to get through? What is your biggest challenge? You know, as we flew yesterday, we, we came home from Michigan. We flew into Minneapolis airport. And we fly over, every time we fly over that city, and, and it was interesting, as I was talking to Teresa, that yesterday was reflecting. It was 35 years ago, maybe to the day, I know it was this week, that we left Seattle and went to Minneapolis to take my first job. Well, I, had a, I, I painted. That was a job, too. That was hard work. And I had respect for that. But my first job as a pastor. And we left here with a one-year-old daughter and our 1970 duster and a trailer behind it. Or maybe it was a truck. I can't remember. No, it was an duster. We took our little 74 Mazda. What am I thinking of? It was our little blue Mazda we took back there. And a, and a U-Haul trailer truck. And we drove back to Minneapolis. As I flew in that airport yesterday, I was reflecting, who would have, how could I have ever have known 35 years ago where God would take us and what God would do in our lives? 
You know, your first job like that, going as a pastor, an associate pastor, in a church you didn't know anybody, it was all brand new. We had a one-year-old daughter. We were leaving Seattle, our home. Um, and, and yeah, I look back and I think back on where God has taken us. You know, four children, 11 grandchildren later, um, family, friends, ministry, 35 years in full-time Christian ministry. I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even thought about that back then. And all the things that God has brought us through. You know, the loved ones that we've lost, parents, sisters, brother-in-laws, dear ones here, the joys and, and accomplishments, the, the, the celebration, you know, all the wonderful things that God has given us in the heart. You, you can never know those things. And young people, one of, the, one of the wonderful things about being part of this church family is that you are surrounded by people here who have walked with the Lord for many, many years. Many, many years. And there's one thing about those people who have walked with the Lord for many, many years. And it's, it's supposed to happen this way. You, you can't possibly grasp it at, at certain, but it's just part of walking with the Lord. That, that you gain a deeper appreciation for the reality of the spiritual world. That there really is, that God really will take care of you. We sang it, right? God will take care of you. We can gather for wonderful events. I mean, like last night, our women gathering and fellowship and just sharing together and just sharing a movie and a fun night together. We do this as men, as families. You know, these are great things to do as a family of God. And we, we walk through life together with each other, through challenges and difficulties. There's a few of you this morning talking to you before the service, and I know some of the, the challenges that, you, that you've been through. And I just I want to tell you, young people, I want to tell you we love you, and we're so proud of you and have you with us. And these, these people that have walked with the Lord, they're praying for you because they know what it's like. And they will be the first ones to stand up and say, yes, it's true. God will take care of you. God is going to lead you through some wonderful things. God is going to do some great things through your life. You can trust in God. The Bible says, though an army encamp against us, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though we are, uh, though we war, uh, the war rise against me, I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Look at To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Isn't that a great psalm? Though an army encamp against me, God open his eyes. Let him see what's surrounding us. And the psalmist says, you know, that my goal, if I could just be in the house of God and gaze upon his beauty. That God didn't live in the house. His presence was there. Only the high priest got to go into his presence. But the psalmist says, this is what I want. And friends, as believers in Jesus Christ, we, we have a wonderful, wonderful future. And we will, we will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We will serve the same God that made everything that's beautiful about this world. Everything that we enjoy about this world. Including our friends and our family. This is the same God that has made the universe. And this, this, this idea that somehow in eternity we're just going to sit there in a state of bliss on a cloud playing a harp or something, 
is so foreign to the Bible. We have a God who has planned things that are unsearchable for us. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. What is faith? What is faith, friends? It's being sure of what we hope for. And certain of what you don't see. And while today you can't visibly see the hands of God around your life, if you could see that for just, if God gave you just 30 seconds, if God gave you just three seconds, if God gave you just one second, one second, to open up our eyes so we could see spiritually what is around us. If you could see God for one second, how different would your life be? How different would my life be? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Hey, quickly, I know it's time to go. We've got to finish the story. Just take me a second. got to finish the story. Back to, back to Second Kings. Because I told you this, this army of horses and fiery chariots didn't do anything, but, but be there. And, and let's finish the story real quick. Come on, we can do this real fast. Second Kings chapter 6. So, what happens? God opens his eyes. He sees the chariots of fire. Verse 18, as the enemy came down toward, came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. That's the army of of the Aramean king. He struck them with blindness as Elisha asked. Elisha told them. So Elisha goes down and says, this is not the road. This is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking. I'll lead you to Elisha. I'll bet. (laughs) He led them to Samaria. Not Shemaria, to Samaria. The capital city of Israel. The northern ten tribes. He took, Elisha took them to the capital where they were their enemies. They entered the city. Elisha said, Lord, look what a man. Elisha just tells God what to do. He says, God, open the eyes of these men so they can see. And they opened their eyes and they looked. Come on, have a little humor now. And they were inside Samaria. And the king of Israel saw them. The king of Israel. Remember, we've talked about these kings. These are not good people. These are not godly men. These are not friends of Elijah and Elisha. And the king gets all excited and says, and he says, to Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? My father? These are the same people whose, whose fathers wanted to kill Elijah. Elisha says, do not kill them. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? If, if you captured enemies, would you just slaughter them? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast. Who? The king of Israel had to prepare a great feast. Can you imagine these soldiers of the Arameans who just knew the rules of battle? They were slaves. They were servants. They were captured. And instead, they're sitting down for Thanksgiving. You know, here comes the turkey. Here comes the gravy. Here comes the cranberries. And the, and the, and the, and the Starbucks coffee, you know. And they're, and, and they're sitting there and they're having a feast. And when it's all over... They finish eating and drinking. It's bye. Go home. Go back to your master. And they left and they stopped raiding Israel's territory. 
Come on, would you ever thought up that story? <laughs> and they all lived happily ever after. Look at the next verse. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aaron, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There's short memories. You know, this is, but I, here's my point. My point is, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that is really crazy to think that Elisha, that God would do this of all things, and Elisha and the servant and everybody besides Elisha is thinking, what are we doing? And these, these people are thinking, what are we doing? What, there's a trick here. Something's going to happen. There's a trick here. And they go home. You know what? We live by faith. We live by faith. We live by faith. We need to be ready for sometimes God to do the unexpected. God doesn't do everything the way we would do it. God didn't always do it this way. But God is God. And if you're willing to live by faith and walk by faith, and if you're willing to seriously consider the things that are not seen, if you're willing to have God open your eyes, just be prepared. That God will not always do everything the way you would have done it. And I got good news for you. That is good. Because God loves you. God loves you. And God has wonderful plans for you. God has the best in mind for you, if you know him. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, if your child came to you and asked for bread, would you give him a stone? If he asked for fish, would you give him a snake? Of course not. If you know how to do that, how much greater will your heavenly Father. Friends, let's walk by faith. Faith. Open our eyes, God. Open our eyes. Now abide us these three. Faith, hope, and love. It's almost as if we planned it. Yeah, Faith John Shelley. All right. (laughs) So beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you so much. And I know you mean that. Just as we close, uh, Bob gave me a note. Almost 100 and uh, one hundred thousand eight hundred ninety dollars, almost one hundred one thousand dollars, toward our one hundred twenty thousand dollar goal for a missionary pledge. If you have not had a chance to do that yet, there's a card in front of you in the pew. The amount is not the important thing; it's your participation in our mission program. So, if you would consider that, prayerfully consider that, young and old, what you could do to be a part of that, we would appreciate. It. Thank you so much for coming today. God bless every one of you. You could be anywhere else today, but you came to church this morning, and I want to thank you, and God bless you, and we pray God's blessing as you walk with him through these doors and walk a walk of faith this week. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. Now, Lord, why you chose to love us, it's your grace and mercy, and that you've called us to be a people who are willing to walk by faith. And there may be one person here today, Father, that... Uh, You are calling. You are calling to their heart. They have not received Christ as Savior. They have never received forgiveness for sins. You've opened their heart to that message, maybe even this day. Father, might they say yes to you and receive Jesus Christ's payment for their sins and receive eternal life. 
And Lord, there may be a person here today who you are calling to step out in faith. There's something before them. And you've opened the door. And they know you're calling and they need to take that step of faith. Lord, may they walk in faith. May we go with you this week. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.